Because when we're constantly just reaching for everything that makes us feel good, that leads us toward a more depressive state. So you actually have to be doing hard things that challenge yourself, even if that is literally just sitting with yourself for a few minutes in the morning. If it's uncomfortable, that's actually a good thing. Welcome to Make Bank with Marie Wold. I'm Marie, and for the last decade, I've been helping women set and hit unrealistic goals while building their definition of a rich life. This podcast is your ultimate destination for unfiltered discussions about personal development, entrepreneurship, wellness, confidence, wealth building, relationships, and so much more. We're creating our dream lives together, and I'm so glad you're here. Now let's jump into today's episode. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back to Make Bank. This week's episode is going to be an an interview going deep into the space of emotional intelligence and how we can apply it to our own growth, how we experience the world, and how we pursue our goals. We have a special guest, Jenny Romancic, a former educator with a background in organizational design and leadership. She's a creator and primary facilitator at the EQ School, an organization that supports adults in learning how to increase their individual emotional literacy through small group workshops, self-paced online courses. You know we are here for all of the education and coaching. She also runs the Instagram account, The EQ School, with over 133,000 followers, sharing insights and teaching methods to help adults improve self-awareness, navigate emotional self-management, and shift relational patterns for healthier relationships across the board. All things we love so, so much here in this corner of the internet. So thank you so much for being here, Jenny. I'm excited for this conversation. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. I'm so, so excited to dig into this because I am such a big like believer and I always have the biggest question mark. Like, why do we not learn about EQ in school? (laughs) Like, why is this something that I discovered as an adult? Why is this not something we're being equipped with? And I also, I'm sure you have the same like you've thought about this a million times, but like imagine how different the world would be if this type of education and awareness was just part of our education as like a human being alongside with like the Pythagorean theorem and (laughs) (laughs) like cellular reproduction stages and things like that. So it's like, we need to learn how to do our taxes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Taxes, emotional intelligence, (laughs) budgeting, what else? All all the like mm-hmm. essential things for just being a human being. And I can't believe it's just such a underrated concept. Like emotional intelligence, mm-hmm. emotional intelligence is not something I even heard of until I was into my 20s. And so mm-hmm. can you tell us a little bit about how you came into this line of work and like why you decided that this is this is your thing and like this is your mission? It's funny. It has actually been kind of a long story. And also like, it's one of those where I, when I look backward, I can see the red thread through everything that I've done that has kind of led me here. But the, the biggest moment for me was I actually did a graduate program in, it was design leadership. And Mm -hmm. so much of that program was like, in order to be a good designer, in order to good do good creative work, you have to know yourself and you have to know the lenses that you bring to your work. Mm. And then in that particular program, they put us in small groups and had us, they kept saying like, work with the people who are the most different to you, because that's where you're going to learn the most about yourself and where you're going to like mm. grow the most in your work. 
And that part of it was incredibly difficult, but they also brought in mediators every two weeks to our teams to help us like, and gave us tools to like work through conflict with each other. And I felt like I like grew up in that year. I like learned how to take responsibility. I saw like so many of my own blind spots around like my emotional self-management and where I struggled and like where I like was resentful. It was like, I actually worked out a lot of these things or started to see these things in this particular graduate program. And it was also kind of a, there was an entrepreneurial focus to it as well. So that was part of me creating the EQ school is that I was like, there's not, as you were saying, there's not a lot of good existing frameworks for this. I also felt like the framework that I had of working in small groups and actually talking through things with people was really beneficial. So, and then I have a background as an educator. I started my career as a high school English teacher. So I kind of put all those things together. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Okay, cool. So were you kind of like me where at the beginning of this process, like I'm thinking back to my college years when I had to do group projects and I like was not in control of who would be in my group. And I would just inevitably always fall into like the same archetype of like, okay, everyone, just let me do it. Just let me fix yeah, this. I'll just do it. You can put your name on it. Yeah. So like, what was your kind of early like role in these groups? And then how did emotional t- intelligence and like the conflict resolution and all of that, like how did that change the way that you interacted in group settings? Because I'm thinking about how what I know now would have changed like my experience in things like that. <laughs> It's a good question. I was definitely that person. I was definitely the like, you know what, just let me do it. I know that I can do it well. So I will say that like, I was more, more of a control freak around things and like was happy to guide other people, but I had the bottom, you know, I had the final say, Mm -hmm. I think a lot on a lot of things. So that helped me see a lot of my own kind of control issues and see where I was uncomfortable letting a process kind of evolve, like letting other people have like, that was, I think a big part of that program too, was like, you never actually have the best solution at the very beginning. You actually have to go through this big process of like, you know, there's the first layer and the second layer. And usually by the third or fourth, fifth layer is when you get to something good. So it was like, I had to learn how to let go. So that was something that I really learned in that program. And so that led me like, you know, backward and looking at like, what were some of the patterns in my family of origin? Why do I feel like I need to control everything? Mm. And then that changed how I show up in my relationships around asking a lot more questions, leaving a lot more space for others. So it's changed. It's changed a lot of things. But the very first (laughs) group or like the very first time we had a mediator come in and like, kind of poke our group to find out what the conflict was. It was about me. It was about me being passive aggressive <laughs> because I was the, I was supposed to be kind of the pro, the project manager and somebody yeah. else started kind of doing my job. And instead of like, you know, talking to her about it or finding different ways to split it, I just like got quiet. And then I just assumed I was letting it go, but everyone was like, we can feel how annoyed you are. <laughs> like what's going yeah. on over there. And so I was like, Oh my God, you guys are like, I didn't know people could feel that energy kind of emanating mm-hmm. from me. So there was a lot that I learned in the in that. So program. interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Amazing. So before we go any more like nitty gritty, I want to just make sure that everyone's like coming to this conversation with a level of like knowledge around EQ. So can you give kind of EQ 101? Like what is the difference? Mm-hmm. Everyone's sort of IQ. What's the difference between IQ and EQ? What does it look like to have or not have emotional intelligence? 
So IQ is the intelligence quotient, and that's more looking at our ability to reason and use logic. EQ is is more of a colloquialism. It's just, it's the idea that like, we don't really include emotion in that measure of like, and we often use IQ to like, historically have seen it as a measure of how people will do in the world, but it leaves so much out. So EQ is again, the colloquialism, it's looking at our emotional intelligence and what EQ is, it it's divided into four areas. So there's self-awareness, emotional self-management, social awareness, and then relationship management. So it's everything from being aware of my own feelings, how my past impacts my present, being able to put space between like my core self and who I am, and then how I feel and how I think and how I behave so that when something triggers a feeling or when I do something I'm not proud of, I don't need to identify with those things. If I can put mm. some space between like what happened and what I'm feeling, then I can I can manage, I can show up, I can kind of like be curious about those things and maybe find different solutions to them. And then the social awareness piece is like kind of being aware of all the social norms and kind of the, the rules for belonging in the different groups that we're a part of and mm-hmm. starting to figure out like which of those are actually in alignment with like my values and who I want to be and being present to like, how does my behavior impact the relationships that I'm in? And then relationship management is like everything from, you know, developing greater intimacy and closeness with people, looking at conflict, looking at feedback. It's, it's all of that, all that fun stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like there's, I've been like in or adjacent to emotional intelligence for like a while. It started with podcasts and like personal development books and things like that. And I feel like a lot of people incorporate these principles into their work, but very few are like really addressing all four of those quadrants that you just explained. Like that is actually a new framework to me where I haven't seen it broken down or I haven't heard anyone else break it down in those ways. Like I always think about emotional intelligence as mostly being about like the self-awareness and like being able to observe your emotions and like not identify with your behaviors or your feelings always. So it's so interesting to hear the other quadrants and like have a more Mm -hmm. holistic picture of that. And that kind of makes a lot of sense because I've always felt like the more I work on my emotional intelligence, it does impact all those things. But no, I haven't seen it like bridged so directly before. So that all makes complete sense. I will say that those four quadrants do come from a psychologist named Daniel Goleman. He's the one who kind of brought that into the modern lexicon. So it wasn't me (laughs) who did that. But yeah. Cool. I'm a big fan of attributing the IP. So right. Right. So great for that. Amazing. Okay. So when we talk emotional intelligence and EQ, I mean, the listeners of this podcast are generally like driven women, goal-oriented women, a lot of entrepreneurs, but also a lot of women who aren't necessarily running their own business, but they are always looking for ways to level up, so to speak. And so I'm curious, like what patterns, either for better or worse, do you tend to see in like goal-oriented women or driven women, whether it's like the people pleasing or not taking time to feel their feelings or what have you? This was one of the questions that we had talked about before, and I was thinking about it. I was wondering if you meant more like entrepreneurial women, because goal oriented feels a little like kind of wide because I was like, I don't know. I don't know if they're the most tend to be the most people pleasy when it comes to. Mm. So I'm sorry, rephrase the question again. 
what patterns do you think I see in there? Yeah. Like what, what unhealthy patterns or just patterns in general, even if it's on the flip side of like, this is actually a great thing about women who are like very driven and like Mm. goal oriented. And a lot of listeners to this podcast are entrepreneurial, have a business or want to start a business, but a lot of them aren't as well. So, but the, the common thread is kind of like, we're all looking to level up. We're all looking to like create a rich life, whatever that looks like financially or mm-hmm. otherwise. So like, what do you kind of see as the patterns on the light side, on the dark side that kind of come along with being that type of human, if you will? Hmm. Sometimes I feel like if, if someone is perhaps like really set on setting out on their own, there may be some avoidance perhaps when it comes to mm. like working with other people, that could be something that could be important to, to notice. I don't know. I feel like I know so many different entrepreneurs and people that all have yeah. different things that get in a way in the way. So there can be a lot, some, for some people, there's like a fear of being seen or there's a fear of like mm. putting themselves out in the world that people struggle yeah. with that, like that might have origin somewhere that's important to like be in relationship with. Cause it's not necessarily the stories that we tell ourselves aren't necessarily true, but as entrepreneurs, I think we all have stories about like who we need to be or who we're allowed to be. And that those definitely shape how we show up in this space. So it's, yeah, it's hard to say, I guess, particular patterns, just because I feel like I've seen people all over the spectrum. There are some people who like are not people pleasing at all to a fault. And then there are some people who like are so afraid to actually step into their genius because, you know, they're afraid that they're not allowed or they don't have the, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's so true. Yeah. Like I've, I've worked with hundreds of entrepreneurs too. So I feel like there's not one single like monolith of like what an entrepreneur is, but I definitely have seen a lot of those, like the, the fear of being seen, like there's so much that comes with, especially growing an online business of like recognizing, okay, if I'm going to impact people, if I'm going to help like a sizable number of people, I need to be seen and like perceived and witnessed by a larger number of people than that. And that can be so scary. Or Mm -hmm. even I saw you made a post about making mistakes. And I know Mm -hmm. that when you're building a business or you're pursuing a passion or you're doing something that's like feel work that feels really important to you, getting it just right feels so important and it feels like necessary to do it perfectly the first time or like the next iteration to be perfect or whatever. And I know personally, it can take me a minute to move through like the different layers of feelings that come up whenever I make a mistake. So Mm -hmm. I'm curious, like, can you talk more about how you see like goal-oriented driven entrepreneurial women relate to mistakes? Like, what do you see happening there? Because you said having a relationship with, I think you said, uh, fear of being seen or whatever. So not whatever, but (laughs) I can't remember the exact word that you use. So how can we like look at our relationship to mistakes and why, why do you use the word like relationship specifically? Yeah. Well, as you were talking, I was also thinking about like, especially, you know, in the business landscape that you and I exist within, it's like, there is Mm -hmm. so much of like being online, being seen, creating content and all of this. I think that for many of us, especially when we step into it, if we don't have a lot of experience, it's like, there's one right way to do it. And then Mm -hmm. we feel like we're making mistakes if we're not doing what the algorithm wants, or if we're not like doing what, you know, the way that other coaches or whatever have set up their programs, there's a lot. So there can feel like we're making mistakes in that way. So I guess I use the word relationship to like, 
when we feel like we've made a mistake, we feel like we're doing something wrong. It's important to insert that space between like what has happened and, you know, what our feeling is and to be able to look at Mm. it and see if we can like learn from it. Cause there are times, Mm -hmm. yes, when we make a mistake and we hurt someone, are we like, yeah, we just do, we make a blunder of some sort and Mm -hmm. we can respond to that in a number of different ways, right? You can shut down, you can feel shame, you can like go into a hole or you can like look at it and learn from it and take responsibility from it. You can see what you could do differently next time. Oftentimes, if you step into it, can have a better relationship with the person or community that you perhaps made this blunder with, you know, if you're willing to step. So that's why the word relationship is because it's like, there's a number of different ways we can respond to that. And it requires self-reflection. It requires like being present to that feeling of shame, like to show up differently to shift our pattern to it as well to making mistakes. Cause mm-hmm. I know a lot of us, a lot of people were shamed when they made mistakes or were punished when they made mistakes. And so we have that like, you know, instinctive, like, Oh, I did something wrong. Yeah. And we want to try to like shift that pattern to being like, I made a mistake. That's okay. I'm a human being. And how can I navigate this differently? Yeah. And I learned yeah. from this. Do you have any advice for how people can, kind of speed up that bounce back is that something that like over time I found that I'm able to like create that space and that like neutrality of like observing what feelings are coming up and like what's true versus what's my story and all I'm able to kind of like go through that process and forgive myself and move on like faster and faster as I do it more and more but do you have any advice for people who this is maybe like a newer concept to them of how how can we think about that process or how can we kind of like step by step through that process and then make it a faster transition over time? Well, unfortunately, I think we all have to go through that process and create our own relationship to it. So for some of us, Mm -hmm. it's going to be intuitively a faster process because maybe we hold less shame around it. Whereas for some of the, you know, some other people, it's like, if you have really big feelings, it is actually important that you like allow yourself to sit with and feel that feeling. So that's one thing Mm -hmm. coming back to that idea of like goal-oriented people who are so focused on like the prize that can sometimes be an issue that I see is like that can lead to burnout. It's like, if I'm Mm -hmm. ignoring what I'm actually feeling, if I'm ignoring signals, like from my intuition that this maybe isn't the right thing for me, but I feel like I should, I have to keep going. I have to get X, Y, Z. Like that can actually cause us to disconnect from ourselves in a way that Mm -hmm. like we miss important cues and signals and we burn ourselves out. So Mm -hmm. I think that like this process of navigating our relationship to our own mistakes and our own inner world is one that does take time. And I think we do live in a world that it's like, how do we get things the fastest way possible? But then you'll like any really successful entrepreneur will often tell you like, it does take time. Like you, it does take time to build something meaningful. Mm -hmm. It takes time to build a meaningful relationship to ourselves. If like, if we've been disconnected from ourselves. So Mm -hmm. I will say with mistakes, it's like being present to the feeling that comes up, being able to put some space between like right and wrong and just being able to be like, oof, that's a lot. Letting Mm -hmm. it sit for a moment and then coming back to it after some of the emotion has moved and and approaching it from a like, so what actually happened? What What would I do differently next time? What am I learning from this? How might other people feel as a result from this, you know, and kind of going from there? Yeah. I know personally, I've had so much trial and error with like, what is the balance of like understanding the kind of like logical side of like, I'm feeling this way and now I need to do this and I need to move on and like keep going. But then also balancing that 
emotional piece of like, okay, but also I need to give myself grace and time and space to like feel the way that I need to feel first. And like the hitting the sweet spot between those two truths has always been one of the hardest things for me because I like, like you were saying, I'm very much like my, my default programming is like, how do I just push through, get things done, keep moving, like make this go away and and get on Mm -hmm. with my life. And so that's like always the dance of like, how do I balance like the emotional needs and feel my feelings and process it? Because like you said, it can feel like the more you push it down, the heavier it gets to carry. Mm -hmm. And eventually you just can't do that anymore. So is that really like what I described of kind of trial and error? Like, is that really the the best way that we can do this? (laughs) Well, I mean, what, what what you did describe really well is the balance between like logic and emotion. That's something Mm -hmm. that we want to work toward because it's like, depending on who you are, there are some of us who like, squash everything down and I'm just going to go, go, go. I'm going to think through this and then do what I should do. Mm -hmm. And then there are some people who get like, you know, knocked over by a feather emotionally and just like Mm -hmm. react and respond and, you know, and so we want to learn how to kind of use both of those things. So it's like, we have an emotional reaction. We allow it, we allow ourselves to sit with it and feel it, but we don't make decisions from that place. (laughs) Like we give ourselves Mm -hmm. a beat. And then Mm -hmm. once we have a, like, we listen to like, what is this telling me? Does this feel right? What is my kind of intuition letting me know here? What needs aren't being met by this? Mm-hmm. And then we can come back to fr- from a more like logical, rational space of like, where do I actually want to go? But to that point of the, of the like, or is it just trial and error? There's a lot of things like tools that we can learn to kind of make that process a little bit faster with time. But for each of us, it's like, again, some people have a lot of unprocessed emotions that they they do need Mm -hmm. to like take some time to sit with. So it is a, like getting to know yourself is somewhat of a a practice in trial and error. And, and in business, you know, it's like, I've tried a number of different things. My career has, you know, I was a teacher. I worked in the kind of the design world and did organizational development for a little bit before I've landed here. So it's also like that, like trial and error, that trying things like, is a good thing. Now that I look yeah. back, I'm like, I'm so glad I did all these things because I learned such deep, important lessons and yeah. they shaped me. And I have all these different skills now because I've done this. So there's yeah. also that it's like, I'm in this process. I'm over here, but I want to be there, but it's okay. Yeah. It's okay that I'm here. Mm-hmm. Cause I'm going to learn some valuable stuff here. That's going to be really helpful when I finally get over there. Yeah. It's, it, it, I feel like a lot of this is going back to that concept you've been saying about like creating space and like being able to observe and have neutrality about like what you're experiencing versus what you're feeling and what you want. And like even being in the process of trial and error, like being able to kind of zoom out and be like, this isn't necessarily where I want to be, but I'm going to like accept it and extract the lessons and like find the the benefits from where I'm at right now and use them to move forward. And that whole acceptance of the process thing it has been hard for me. I think it's hard for a lot of, especially like goal oriented people who are like, but I want to be over there (laughs) and I want to be doing X, Y, Z and I want to have X, Y, Z. And so is there anything that any maybe like practices or reframes or things that you're a big fan of when it comes to like almost just embracing and like being present to whatever season of the journey that you're in, whenever you find yourself getting a little too like I'm behind or I want to be this or like kind of having that. What is, I think there's a term for this when you're always like delaying your happiness of like, well, when I have this, I'll, mm. I'll finally have made it. 
Mm-hmm. I, th- I think personally for me, checking in with my stories is a really important mm. like practice is like, okay. cause I, there is a lot of like shooting. There is a lot of like, Oh, why am I here? Like there's that. So I will often like just get my computer out and just write out like, what are the narratives that are coming up in my head? Take some space mm-hmm. from them and come back and be like, yeah, that's not actually true. Or like being able, like that helps me is kind mm-hmm. of getting some of it. Cause when they're all just swimming around in our head, uh, they're not super helpful. We also, this is something we go through, especially in my emotional self-management workshop is we all have like stories that pop up when we're a good place. We have stories that pop up when we're not in a good place, becoming aware of those. So it can kind of clue us in of like, like when I'm really overwhelmed. So I've actually been working on a book, a book proposal and like sometimes I've been getting feedback from my agent and I've had moments of like, I can't do this. And I'm like, that's my, that's my story. That's my like, Oh, I need to like pause and breathe for a little bit, Jenny. Like, cause you totally can, you know that. And now I notice when that story comes up, I'm like, okay, I got to take a breather and maybe walk around the block and then come back to this. So for me, that's one of them is like checking in and noticing like the narratives. Cause then I don't like start ruminating and go deeper into it, that's when I can pause. Mm -hmm. Because the pause is another, as you said before, I think the pause is a really big part of this work too. Yeah. Yeah. I love what you said about when they're all just kind of like swimming around in your brain. Like I always describe that as like all your thoughts getting tangled up and like the more thoughts you let like fester and swim around, like the worse the knot gets. And if you can just like get it all out, it helps you have so much more clarity and be able to like sift through and sort things out of like, "Mm, yeah, that's, that's not real or that's not me or I'm like, that's not true. And that's not a priority. And it's like, Mm -hmm. oftentimes my brain dumps start as like all of these, like my to-do lists and things like that. And then it goes after I get those practicalities out of the way, I am able to be like, oh, this is why I'm actually avoiding all of the things. So this is actually what's stressing me out. And like that, just that process of letting your brain go out and onto something yeah. else makes a huge difference instead of expecting it to all be like untangled up here. Yeah. I love that you said that too. Cause that's actually what I, that also that piece when I'm procrastinating on something that I need to mm. do, I will sit down and open just a note, like a note and be like, what are my feelings about this? Like, what is the judgment? Mm-hmm. What is the whatever that's stopping me from doing this thing that I want to do? So you, you kind of hit the nail on the head with that too. It's like, what is the story here? What is the like tightness that's making me just like not want to do this thing? And mm-hmm. once I see it, then it's easier to like, oh, well, that's not true. Or like, okay, yeah. th- that might be scary and I can still do it. I can still navigate whatever that is. Yeah. Okay, hold on. I needed to interrupt this episode quickly because... I've realized that it doesn't matter how hard you work or even how quote unquote productive you are, how many hours you put in, if you are going hard in the wrong direction, which is why it is so important to be clear and confident about your goals. And that's the exact reason why I've incorporated goal setting into all of my coaching programs. Because if my clients are not clear on their goals, if they don't know where we're going and why we're going there, it doesn't matter what strategies we pull out. It doesn't matter how much planning we do. We have to get clear on what the destination is first. And so I swear by this goal setting visualization, and it is something that previously was only available to my clients. It's a visualization that I lead and I walk you through. And now I've made it available for free for 
everyone. I swear by it. Even if you're not a visualization girly, I have just converted so many people into loving a good visualization with this exact exercise. So I'm going to leave a link to it in the episode description, or you can head immediately to mariewold.goals. That's M-A-R-I-E-W-O-L-D.com slash goals. Again, it is totally free. It will take you 25 minutes and I've hooked you up with a bonus workbook just to help you reflect and process and really start implementing on all the breakthroughs that you have. So enjoy. Let me know how it goes because I know it's going to be a game changer for you and let's get back to the episode. I love this conversation about kind of those little things as stuff comes up or as we like meet that resistance or as we feel big feelings and something that we were talking about before when we were prepping for the episode is like how it's important to do this work and like work on your emotional literacy and your EQ outside of just like the big like the moments of crisis or like the the big problems in life like we were talking about checking in regularly, creating habits. Can you speak more to the like idea of kind of EQ maintenance versus like reactivity of only doing this when you need to like save yourself from a a low, low? Yeah. I really, I'm glad you asked that because one thing we talk a lot about in my workshops is like, if you only reach for this work when you're in crisis, if you only reach for Mm -hmm. these tools when you're in crisis, like they might not actually work. Like they might not actually Mm. feel like safety. They might not actually like provide the thing you need because they're still so foreign to you that we might actually just fall back into our old coping mechanisms because they are more familiar to us and we know what they are, but they might continue to like spin us in our unhealthy patterns. So Mm -hmm. that's part of why like nervous system regulation is such a big kind of, I don't know, buzzword these days of like, daily, we have to get into a place where we find what safety feels like in our body. Because then Mm -hmm. when we are feeling activated, when we are in a place where we're really stressed out and we reach for that, our body is like, oh yeah, I know this. Okay. So it's Mm. easier for it to kind of fall into it. Whereas if like, you know, you reach for a breathing technique or whatever, and you're just like, no, whatever, I'm going to go eat, eat, (laughs) whatever, eat my feelings instead. Like, you know, it's harder. It's like, we as humans, we are creatures of habit. Patterns are like how we live our lives. So we need to create patterns that are even just like bit by bit moving us toward the life that we actually want. And when they feel normal to us, then we reach for them. But if we Mm -hmm. only reach for them, you know, yeah, in times of crisis, like they're probably not going to stick or work. Yeah. That makes complete sense. Like if you're experiencing something really hard and you're like, I think I'm going to try breath work today like for the first time ever I could see that being completely like overwhelming and maybe like more dysregulating because you've probably never felt some of the sensations that you're gonna feel or it's just another new like stimulus and your nervous system is already taxed so that makes Mm -hmm. complete sense and can you give us some like tangible examples of maybe what routines you use or some different toolbox items that you like to teach when it comes to like things that we can just start building in, like you said, that are like maybe a smaller ask. And it's not like we need to overhaul our entire life to start making mm-hmm. progress here. Well, it's funny because they're, they are pretty small. I mean, even when yeah. people start my workshops, I'm like homework for every day is to like move your body in some way and be in it, like yeah. be fully present. So it can be, if you want to go 
if you want to dance, if you want to work out, if you do whatever, but it can also be like while you're making coffee in the morning, like try to stay fully present to each step and each thing you're doing. Like what are the sensations that are happening in your body, in your hands as you're washing your hair in the shower? It's just like being present to your body is an Mm -hmm. important thing because so many of us actually like live so much in our head that we aren't getting the signals from our bodies that are like giving us Mm -hmm. important information about where we're holding stress and anxiety. So even just like being present in your body every day, what are some other things we talk about? I mean, I definitely tell people to drink water every day. (laughs) I also like every morning for me, I do check in with my stories. So uh, Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if you're familiar with The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. I've heard of it, but I have not read it. There's a, she has this thing called the morning pages and morning pages are Mm. kind of just like brain dumping whatever is there. And I find that to be a really helpful practice because it can be the things that we were talking about earlier, like the stuff that's in the way of you doing what you actually want to do. So in her practice, it's to handwrite out at least three pages of just like, if it, even if it's just like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, just like writing what's there. And I don't, I don't do it that way. I'll sit on my computer and just kind of, especially if there's any like tension or anything and weird in my body, I just kind of write about it, kind of get it out. But yeah, those are moving your body, making sure to drink water and even just like being present to what are some of the thoughts, what are some of the things that are coming up and getting them out Yeah, can be helpful. It's so funny because I find myself wanting to be like, but that like what can we have something that's more like new and like interesting and like something that people have never heard of. Like part of me is like, well, we already knew that. But that's so counterproductive because that is so representative of how our brains are always looking for like the shiny new thing. And like looking, we we hear that the answer can be simple and we're like, not that one. I don't like that answer. Yeah. Give me a different answer that's like more sexy and complicated and like fun, right? But because doing everything that you just said is act like even though it's simple, it's all very difficult based mm-hmm. on the way that like our society is currently set up and like how we're exactly. conditioning our brains and bodies to exist. There is a, I don't know if she was a psychologist or a researcher or what she was on the hidden brain recently, who was also talking about like dopamine, which is of course also a thing that Mm -hmm. everybody is talking about right now. And also just the importance of doing hard things, because when we're constantly just reaching for everything that makes us feel good, that leads us toward a more depressive state. So you actually have to be doing hard things that challenge yourself, even if that is literally just sitting with yourself for a few minutes in the morning. If it's uncomfortable, that's actually a good thing. You know, that's part Mm -hmm. of the like I end all my showers with just like at least 30 seconds of cold water of standing there, yeah. like just That's feeling great for discomfort. your hair as well. It seals <laughs> the I've hair heard. follicle. It makes your hair shinier. <laughs> so if you, yeah. so if you can get yourself to do it for like mental toughness and like hormone health and all of those things, do it for your shiny hair. <laughs> yeah. But uh, you know, another, like when you ask for things that we can do, I mean, a big part of cultivating resilience is learning how to sit with discomfort. And so also like just even sitting with when you have an uncomfortable feeling and not thinking about it, but literally Mm -hmm. just like sitting with like, if I can turn off my thoughts about why is this and what do I need to do and just Mm -hmm. like sit with the sensation of like, I feel anxiety in my body. Yeah. And that's okay. And just sit with that is also Mm -hmm. something we talk a lot about is like just allowing ourselves to sit with the sensations of things that are hard without trying to immediately fix them. Yeah. That's also really beneficial. 
I think it's like the fixing and then also like the numbing and avoiding are just like the the easiest two paths. And it, there are so many ways that we can like numb out from how we feel, whether it's social media or TV or the news or literally anything. Like mm-hmm. we have so many stimuli at our fingertips now. There are so like you, you can call a friend immediately and have access to someone else or watch YouTube videos or whatever. Like there's just so many other ways that you're so many ways that you can just not feel your feelings is that it's it's actually amazing how uncomfortable that practice can be I remember when I first started therapy I this was maybe like five six years ago I asked my therapist and I'm like very much a true Enneagram three because I asked my therapist I was like so what's my homework now (laughs) like what do I do from here and just like um I want you to cry and I was like I don't know how to do that right now. Like, what do you mean? Can't I do something? And she's like, yes, you can feel your feelings and allow yourself to cry. And I was like, I don't, I don't like that. (laughs) I don't, I don't like that answer. And that has been like such a journey for me to just actually Mm. be present to the feelings and not immediately solve them or intellectualize them. And that was another thing where I was like trying to explain, like, I think I feel this way because this, and I think Mm -hmm. that the way to solve it is this, blah, blah, blah. She's like, where do you feel it in your body? And I was like, mm-hmm. what? <laughs> what do mm-hmm. you mean? <laughs> mm-hmm. And all of that is just such a journey. And so I know that a lot of my listeners can like relate to that kind of side of the spectrum. But I also know also know that so many people can relate to what you were saying earlier about the like emotional resilience piece being a struggle where you said like feelings could just like knock them over with a feather kind of thing. And so how can we kind of discern a like where I mean people probably know where they fall on that spectrum but like what is kind of the healthy place to be on that spectrum and how do we also we'll start there I have another question next about like how to relate to people on the other side of the spectrum but like how do we know when we're in a healthy space with feeling our feelings but also not letting them like run us over I guess or hold us back too much well, one I'm, I'm laughing too because you're an Enneagram three and I'm a four, which is like the deep feeler. I'm a three so I'm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm definitely the one who ha, has had my, my life knocked over with a feather before, you know, because I feel so deeply. Yeah. So I would say like healthy is a wide spectrum. You know, I would say mm-hmm. that like we're, you and I are going to show up differently to adversity and to different things and that that's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, we all have our own different kind of ways of navigating it. But I would say like, you know, for, for some of us, we are more sensitive. We have like bigger, deeper Mm -hmm. feelings and that that's okay. So I think the balance just lies in like being actually able to notice your patterns. So that's part of the Mm self-awareness is starting to notice like, well, where do I go? This is like the greater Mm -hmm. thing of like, when I feel like I'm knocked out of balance, what do I do? What do I reach for? Mm-hmm. You know, what is it doing for me? And is that actually helping me? And this is a process that one of those things that takes time of seeing that, yeah. like, is this actually benefiting me over time? Or am I like in a rut? Cause I kind of keep doing the same thing. And so it's like mm-hmm. starting to pay attention to like, what are my patterns? Where do I go? What are the stories? And how do I like start to insert different ways of responding or different ways of mm-hmm. reacting? So like, for someone who feels deeply, it's like, I can like feel the feeling, be present to the story, like kind of let myself sit with the sensation of it, let myself move it. Like there's lots of different ways I can do that. For me, often it is just like sitting with it and then like mm-hmm. come back to the story, kind of 
and then decide how I want to move forward with it. Mm-hmm. If you're someone who like lives in your head and is like, I'm not going to feel that right now. It's like, maybe you do have to build in some time, you know, to be like, I got to check mm-hmm. in with myself today. <laughs> I got to actually see mm-hmm. like, actually, I do know that thing bothered me. I'm going to go back and revisit it and actually like sit with it and like, no, that did hurt. Or like, oh, no, that was really like yucky or like, you know, allowing yourself to actually acknowledge how you felt about it. So it kind of looks different for each of us. Like what is our, what is our go-to coping mechanism and how do we like, Mm -hmm. and also I will say when we talk about numbing, I would say that like the numbing or distracting is something we all do and it's not inherently bad. Like we do need Mm -hmm. to do that sometimes Mm -hmm. to not judge ourselves. Cause it's like, sometimes you do just need to doom scroll, (laughs) you know, Yeah. you know, to kind of get out of it. Sometimes doom scrolling is (laughs) self-care. It's about about discerning the, the line. Just not if it's the only thing that you do. Yeah. Then it's not yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. Or some just trash TV or just watch The Office for the 37th time or whatever it is. Like you're not necessarily yeah. doing doing that deep work, but like sometimes the soul need, needs those things. Okay. Yeah. And so we then can't do my, the deep work all the time. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So then my next question, kind of bringing this full circle to how you were even brought into this work is like working within a group dynamic and having relationships with people even in a s- educational space or a workspace or family units there are, like there are endless ways where this can show up between people i'm sure but like when you are in a relationship with people who are either like on a different different eq level than you or they have a different personality type or a different way that they feel their feelings whatever people that are very different from you how can we take what we learn about emotional intelligence and then what we learn about ourselves to better navigate those dynamics because i know so many people obviously have family members they have partners they have children but also like entrepreneurs were leading teams and working on projects with people and things like that so I see this come into play like everywhere. And where do we begin to start like applying this to now, not just inside ourselves, but like with other people? Mm-hmm. Well, number one, because like you said, that's a that's a big question. Yeah. But I would say number one place to start is to develop your own self-awareness, like actually mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. yourself and know who you are independent of other people. Because when we talk about people pleasing and whatever, it's like, oh, someone else feels something. So then I feel it too. And then I need to fix it for them. No, I have to get clear on like, who is Jenny? What's important to Jenny? How do I work? What works for me? Like actually start to figure out what some of that stuff is and then get better at like being willing to communicate that to people. Mm. So it's being able to, so when I talk about boundaries, boundaries are not just like the line in the sand that's like, you can't do this. Boundaries are actually like communicating to you who I am so that you understand, Mm. like you can actually see the boundary between you and me so you understand me better. And so then Mm -hmm. like when I actually communicate, this works for me or this doesn't, I'm actually inviting you in and then you can kind of make the choice of whether or not you're going to show up or you're not. So Mm -hmm. when we take more responsibility, when we actually know who we are, we are more in relationship with our feelings, with our own triggers and our own like you know, bullshit from the past when we know how that shows up kind of in our present and we can take ownership and we can communicate what our needs are to other people. We can actually then like, A, we're giving them the opportunity to see and know us better and like giving them kind of some of the answers of how to be in relationship with us. And then we can kind of like let them choose how they're going to show up. And Mm. 
that's where a lot of us struggle. We feel like if we were just perfect or if we did it better, if we were whatever, like people would show up for us. And that's one of those places where you kind of have to let go of control, you know, and be like Mm -hmm. to actually have a deep and healthy relationship with someone, they have to be allowed to show up as who they are. Mm -hmm. And so even like, it it was funny because I learned a lot of this stuff in that context of work, like in that graduate program and working with other people, it's like, remember one team we had such conflict because we had two guys who were from Brazil and like a couple people who were from like Sweden and England who were they were like so about being on time and the Uh Brazilian guys are like I cannot I just I I can't and I remember this huge conflict and we were like you know we had to figure out a way that allowed everybody to kind of exist like what was the compromise and whatever but that's like a, a lighter lighter hearted example but like yeah. we all are different and we have differences and we have to be willing to like communicate our needs to others. And we also have to be willing to listen and hear other people's needs too. And mm-hmm. that's something like, this is like, it sounds like basic stuff. <laughs> this, when you were, when, when you mentioned earlier, like if we all did more of this, like the world would look different. I feel like if more people yeah. felt safe, actually like mm-hmm. expressing what their needs were, even just being present to their own feelings and if other yeah. people felt safe with someone else, just like if I felt safe sitting next to someone who was angry or sad and could just like let that be, the world would be yeah. different because we keep trying yeah. to change everybody. We keep trying to make mm-hmm. them be where we are. And it's like allowing someone to be different than me and actually being curious about who that is. Yeah. So as a leader, you know, I feel like it's like letting people see you. One of the best pieces of advice that I got from someone who ran an agency in Sweden is she was like, I try to like let people know that I'm human and share like real Mm -hmm. parts of myself, but I don't put that in anybody. Like they don't have to hold it or be responsible for it as a leader. Mm -hmm. So she's like, Mm -hmm. it helps that it's like, I'm imperfect. I make mistakes. You know, I had an emotional morning this morning, but I'm not trying to get anybody to like, you know, any of my colleagues or any of my like workers to take care of my feelings for me, but being willing to share them, but have my own responsibility for them, I think is important. I don't know if that answers the question. I kind of went all over there, but. No, I think that like, I think just giving people a kind of like bird's eye view of what it can look like to apply this interpersonally, I think is, is a huge thing. And I, I've found personally that the only way to really like embody what we've talked about is to just do it Mm -hmm. (laughs) and for you to like observe like taking all that practice of observing your feelings and then not making it like mean something about you and like observing the stories and how they all play with each other is like it's just kind of the next level of that game (laughs) of like okay now I can take uh, I can see other people's feelings and not take them personally or not make them mean something about me or I can hear I can identify the stories that they're in and not take it personally or try to like see how they're all related and I've just I've had to practice this so much as a Mm -hmm. coach too, because so much of what I do is holding space for other people and helping other people go through their process. And oftentimes they are really different than me. And so I've found it to just be such a practice thing. And it's been one of the biggest mirrors for myself too. Something that you've mentioned a couple of times or like referenced a couple of times is mirrors. And Mm -hmm. so before we wrap, can you just give us like a brief kind of overview of what you mean by that and how we can use our experiences or our relationships with other people as mirrors and like as catalysts or clarity for our growth versus I think it could also be easy to just go through the world like 
triggered or like overwhelmed mm -hmm. by like all the things that you are feeling or that are brought up in you. And so how can we have like a, a, a productive relationship with things being mirrored back to us? Yeah, I, I love that question. For me as the person like going through the world and recognizing that like when I when I'm triggered by something or even when I'm like really inspired or like I love something, seeing that as a mirror that's telling me something about myself. It's like, oh, if mm -hmm. I love and admire this person, like those are qualities that I probably do have and admire and like want to grow more of. But also like if I feel really triggered by something or if someone says something that hits a nerve, that's more about like my lived experience and there's something going mm -hmm. on within me, you know, or if I really mm -hmm. dislike someone, there's usually like something about them that I'm rejecting in myself. So mm. I feel like that, that flip, like in seeing that helps us have that pause, you know, and not just yeah. react and respond or like shame and make other people wrong. It helps us be like, mm -hmm. why did that bring up such a big thing for me? Or uh -huh. like the, the beauty of like, oh, I really love that about that person. It's like, oh, like then maybe we share that quality and that's pretty cool. It gives us a lot of information about like, where we still have work to do and where we do have some, you know, it can be a cue of like, I'm always end up being triggered in these situations. So that means there's something in there that I still need to process and kind of sit with and feel. And that's actually going to help mm -hmm. me be less triggered in those kind of situations going forward. That's mm -hmm. kind of how I see. And then from the other side, as the person being a mirror, I think that that's important to recognize in your relationships too, is like to support other people. Often the best thing that we can do is like reflect back what we see mm -hmm. in a non-judgmental way, you know, and it's like, oh, I hear yeah. you saying this. It's like, that's actually how we can support people the most. It's not like I'm telling you what to do, but it's more like, I hear you saying that this is important to you. Is that right? Mm -hmm. That's like how we can support people is, is by mirroring mm -hmm. them in this way. So mirroring, I, yeah, I think it's a really big, important part of this work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what you said about like when you're triggered in like a way that feels negative by other people and looking at like, oh, where can I maybe like find that within myself? That was like that concept was such a like rude awakening for me because I found it to be so <laughs> true. And now when I'm getting triggered by someone, I'm like, okay, what are we noticing? <laughs> and I, that is one of the like t one of the paths of this work that has made such a difference for me. But it's also it was one of the things that I like had resistance around accepting. So I'm so glad that you brought that up. And if someone hears that and they're triggered by the concept, sit with it and be curious. And that was the other thing that has really stuck out to me about everything we've talked about today is you're just always encouraging us to be curious about the feelings and like curious about the stories and having that that curiosity versus judgment or trying to like always understand immediately like what's going on or problem solve immediately like just sitting with things or being curious about things has been really big for me too and not immediately trying to make things good or bad or right or wrong or fix the problem so I just mm -hmm. wanted to highlight that for people like that, the, the feeling of curiosity and just like neutrality there. Well, and the one other piece I'll add to that, the piece that allows us to be curious is also when we're more compassionate and this can feel mm -hmm. counterintuitive because we live in such like a shame based and like punitive society that, you know, mm -hmm. you do something wrong, ugh, you got to fix it. But it's like, yeah. oh, you made a mistake. That's okay. That actually allows you to like soften so you can be curious. Whereas if you're shaming mm -hmm. and judging, it's like mm -hmm. you tighten up and you close down and then there's no room mm -hmm. for like looking at a different way to do it. So I'm like mm -hmm. 
curiosity is what actually lets us do different things. Yeah. Shift yeah. shift the pattern in a new way. Yeah. 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 I feel like we just kind of have touched the tip of the iceberg on each of these. <laughs> like I know we kind of bounced around between all of these different concepts and ideas and frameworks of where people can start digging into the EQ work. So where can they get more from you? Where can they follow you? Where can they learn about your workshops and your programs? Like tell us all the things so everyone can go more into all of the different topics we covered today. Mm -hmm. The best place to go on social media is just Instagram at the EQ school. And then you can also go to my website, which is www.theeqschool.co, not.com. Amazing. So yeah, that's where you can find out more and sign up for my mailing list and stuff like that too. Perfect. Thank you so, so much for your time and your wisdom and sharing your expertise with us. Jenny, we are so grateful and we'll definitely see you around. Yeah. Thank you for having me. 